for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by AllGrows.com, with your host, elk hunting coach, Joe Gilligan. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. When it comes to elk hunting, it's a constant learning process. And as hunters, most of those lessons come in hindsight. Our understanding basically comes after a blown situation or scenario. So, y'all, the goal of this show is to break down everyday elk hunter scenarios, hunters just like yourself, and hopefully help them in their process while helping you. Let's turn that hindsight into foresight. Welcome, y'all, to our Elk Bro Scenario Revamp Session. And on today's show, you know, I just I just was introduced to Sam through email, sent me a scenario, and actually, Sam, you're the person that... um basically inspired this new type of show. So you're the first. Welcome. <laughs> How do you feel about it? Yeah, well, yeah, a little outside my comfort zone, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm glad I, I get learned so much from these podcasts. So, uh, I'm glad to maybe, uh, contribute and help others, uh, learn from my mistakes. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool because I, you know, I replied back to your email after I read it and, and you know, it's funny. We get a bunch of long scenario emails, right? And with the makeup of our other show, if we were to just go into the scenario, it would basically be a show in Mm -hmm. itself. And so when I was looking at that, I was like, man, if, you know, it would basically be a show in itself. So why not do just that? Let's make this into a show. Let's make this into a segment. Let's get other people to send in their scenarios because it's right. You know, you're right. And in that the best way for all of us to learn is one of two ways. <laughs> you know, we make the mistake ourselves over and over and over and over until we figure it out, or we learn from somebody else's experiences, right? Yep. So Absolutely. I uh I emailed you back and I was like, well how do you feel about <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. And uh <clears throat> and I'm a I'm a question ask asker is kind of my uh kind of my uh default thing i like to ask a lot of questions and uh i think it's just uh like you said you know 
it's the you learn from those mistakes. But like you know, most of us who live in the Midwest, I get I get seven to ten days a year of elk hunting. So you know, the number of experiences I can have is limited. And uh, yeah, so anything we can pick up from each other is going to be really valuable before we mess it up the next time. Yeah, and that, you made a great point because I try to tell people that all the time is if you think about it, if you hunt seven days a year, right? If you hunt seven days a year, basically it takes you five years to get a month's worth of yep. education out there, right? So it, that's where this, what we do, our podcast, and all the stuff that's available, these resources are just so huge for people these days because you can really flatten that learning curve. Or you can go do it on your own. So yep. tell us a little, you said you do seven, you know, seven days a year. Tell us about your current elk hunting experience yeah. and some of the things that you guys have done. So this, this 2023 is going to be uh season three for my group. There's uh three or four of us that uh kind of just you steer hunt together and stuff. And then kind of one, one on a whim, I just messaged one of them. I was like, Hey, you want to go to Colorado? next year at Elkhorn and there's the guy that's kind of down for anything. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So, um, so I'm the planner and the researcher of the group. And so I, I pick the units. I do most of the e-scouting, um, all that stuff. And, uh, so we ended up first year, uh, it was 2020, um, in Colorado, um, over the counter. Uh, we were there for about, again, nine or 10 days, mm-hmm. um, found elk almost every day. Um, very, very challenging. It's like everywhere you pull up, there's a, car kind of thing that you're dealing with but we, we found elk almost every day on the very last day uh i drew back on a on a cow and uh i made a range estimation uh mistake with the elevation change yeah. and uh shot right over her back i guess the range the straight line ranged correctly but uh so was but, it uh, didn't, downhill it was uphill it was uphill looking uphill yeah so wow. uphill and downhill are the same, but forgot yeah. the physics there and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and shot right straight, straight as a straight, perfect alignment right over her back. Um, and then, uh, 2021, we didn't hunt. I had, I had a new baby, so I had to sit that one out. Then last year we ended up in Colorado again in a low or a low point draw unit. And, um, actually I didn't even have a tag The two of us had tags and I was the, I'm also the, the best caller in the group and honestly kind of prefer in some ways to, to do the calling. Um, you kind of get that interaction more than with just, uh, with the bow. But, uh, and we did again another, another nine or 10 day hunt in elk almost every day. Um, another one, one of the guys in our group did a get a cow last year and, uh, had several close encounters. Um, we'll talk about one here in a little bit, but, uh, because I, I mean, I feel like I've only, again, only two years in, I do tons of research. So I feel like I've, I feel like I know more than, two years but it's still like those it's those last minute those last 50 yards or whatever that it's those are right. the experiences that are just hard to hard to gain because you only get a handful of those right on a trip if you're lucky or if you're you know and so that's what uh that's still where my probably gap is i can we can find out pretty much every day it's getting it's getting within 50 yards is the is that that's where we're still learning so let me ask you this you say we can find elk every day what has been your method of finding elk every day um, that's a good question. I, so, I mean, I, I, he's, he's got a ton. I do a ton of research. Um, we, we're not necessarily the group that goes out there and walks 20 miles a day. We've done, I mean, we've done the 10, 10, 10, 12 miles, 4,000 feet of eleva- elevation gain and stuff. We've done that. Um, but I am really in the camp of, I can pretty much find them within a mile of the road pretty regularly. And it's hard to describe, but I've, 
I've in my mind can picture those spots that get overlooked pretty well. Right. Um, for just a variety of different weird things. Um, and, and uh, I've, I've seemed to have, have somewhat cracked the code as far as avoiding those spots that everyone else either drives by or they stop driving because they got, they saw some shiny thing before they got to where I was going. Right. Um, so I, I wish I, if I could tell you, I probably would start my own <laughs> podcast, uh, and, uh, if I could articulate it, but, well, you've actually described some of the things that we're always telling people, man, all the time. And that, um, you know, everybody's like, you know, from the trailhead, from the trailhead, from the trailhead. And, and we hardly ever go to a trailhead. Yeah, we, never, we, most ever. Elk are, <laughs> yeah. They're passed on the way to the trailhead. Yeah. Because, and then the other thing is, is there's also a spot if you do go to the trailhead, you know, and most people, when they get there, they're going to hike in three, four, five miles. And it's generally within that first mile or two miles of that trailhead on finding side shoots, yep. you're going to probably locate those elk. So you, you've done a, a great job of doing your research. You know that you can get into elk. Now, let me ask you this, because uh, you guys have gone 20, 21 um, and 22. Oh, you were. You 2020, were, 2022. Yeah, we, I sat out, we sat out 2021. Yeah. Right. So what time of year are you hunting? Yeah, we're having pretty much uh, both years. And then again, this year we're going to New Mexico, uh, mm-hmm. but for second archery. So we're pretty much like September 15th through, you know, 25th, 26th, uh, okay. pretty much every time. Okay. So how have those elk, when you go back to 2020, if you're hunting that second or that 15th is dynamite, man. So that's... Mm-hmm. That's actually a good time. The only thing is, is I think in Colorado, you guys were the muzzleloaders. Muzzleloaders, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So that adds an element. Yeah. It's, um, it's tough in Colorado in those units. It's there, you know, my, my observations are is that the herd sizes are usually pretty small. There's rarely more than one bull. Right. Um, and so you're, you're calling to a herd bull a lot. And as you guys know, when you, at least, at least what I feel like I know is when I, when you're calling to a herd bull, he's probably getting his cows the heck out of there. He doesn't want to deal with another bull. Right. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm big on the cow sounds and everything, but it's, again, they, even with cow sounds, sometimes you're not drawn, you don't have a satellite you can draw in, right? Right. Sometimes you can get the cows to come in, but they're not, I, I've found times where like, man, they're super vocal and then other times, they're shut down. So as an example, the the second bugle or second cow call I let out the my the first day first day ever elk hunting, uh, I bugled in another group, then went over the mountain. I was like, I'm not bugling anymore. I just calling another hunters. Did some cow calls, and we had uh-huh. I had two bulls uh, from different two different finger ridges just went 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 insane. They were they were they were they were pissed off, and I was I was in the middle of them, and they started coming in. Uh, both coming in, we kind of lost track of the other one and then it ended up, ended up 20 yards from the other one through some super thick, super thick brush and we could just couldn't, not, neither of us could get around to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, ended up bumping them trying to, trying to hook around. And then I've been times where we've, and I, I think I described in the email I sent you where we were glassing these, this large herd, um, probably about a mile away and, uh, we hear someone else, someone else, another bull bugle off to the, to the east of them. And this, this real mature herbal darts darts towards that sound of that bugle, rips off his own bugle, and then turns around and pushes his whole herd off right. the off the field into the into the forest. And it's like, uh, so I've seen a little bit of seen a little bit of both. Um, it's it's 
but generally speaking, I'd say they've been on the quiet side. I've gotten some gotten some screaming matches with bowls and stuff, but for the most part, um, they're they're pretty they're pretty quiet in those higher pressure units. Well, yeah. New Mexico will maybe be a new experience. We'll see. Yeah, it, especially around the fifteenth, and it's going to be different. You don't have to deal with like the whole muzzleloader issue. Yep. Um, you know, I'm used to hunting silent elk, and some of the things that you described are some of the issues that a lot of people have to deal with. Now, I was curious, and when you had the two bulls that were screaming at each other, did you learn anything from that? The way they were communicating? Um, I don't. So the 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 second one who was moving real fast, he he. He only went off about two or three times and he kind of, we kind of lost whatever happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I think the main thing we learned out of that, out of that situation is that cause we ended up, as we were trying to go to them, we ended up finding their wallow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in hindsight, we should just backed up. And when they went, when the cold, when the calls went cold, we should just backed up and gone sat 20 yards above that wallow uphill and just been patient and, and maybe started calling later, but also just see if they were coming to take a midday drink. But, um, and yeah, actually, I, I, I think you had other possibilities there too as well. And I, and, and what I mean by that is that I'm not real huge. And I just had a email from somebody else about hunting New Mexico and finding a wallow and just sitting on the wallow. And that's not something, first of all, my personality doesn't let me do it. Yeah. I, I get, that's why I elk hunt. I mean, I, I like deer hunting too, but I like elk hunting more because I'm moving around. So I, I'd only do that in those limited situations where like, I know they're right there. Right. But otherwise I, yeah, I'd get bored. I don't, I didn't drive, I didn't drive 2000 miles. I can sit in a tree stand if I want to hunt Absolutely. stationary. So the thing I was going to tell you is in that situation and you don't necessarily call to them. So, when you had two bulls that were communicating with each other like that, you had elk doing elk things. There were some things mm-hmm. that, and the way they were communicating that attracted them. Now those happened to be engaged with each other, right? Yeah. They were actually communicating. Um, if you've listened to some of the things that we do, you've probably heard about our scenario calling that we mm-hmm. do. Yep. So yeah. really what I would have done in a situation that I knew elk were in, especially if it was, you know, uh, what time of day was that that you were dealing with? That was like mid morning, I think. Um, that was back in 2020. So it was a little, yeah. little, not fresh memory, but I'm pretty sure it's like we hiked up that, you know, it was about a mile and a half pre steep climb in. So it's probably like nine to 10 yeah. time we were in there. So basically the bull's going to bed, right? You know, yeah. and if he had cows on the cows are going to bed. Now the, the issue with that, if he does have cows and I've seen the same thing that you're talking about in Colorado that amazed me is that you're going to see, Single, small, young bulls with one cow, two cows running that cow everywhere. You don't see the big groups, or I didn't in the area. Yeah, he had three, it turns out, three or four that we we saw. Yeah, and it's like that. You don't see a real true herd bull with 20, 30 cows. Um, Now, I know that there are places that happen in Colorado, and it might be a certain time of year once they, you know, they gather them up like that, but... You know, I was amazed at how many I saw immature bulls with cows and wanting to keep that one cow or two cows or three mm-hmm. cows that they have with them, right? So um, I, I saw that a lot. But uh, so in that situation where I knew midday that those animals were in that area, I would have probably in that wild, like you said, gone off a little bit. And then I could have done some scenarios where I'm actually not calling to a bull, but I'm acting mm-hmm. out other elk doing elk things in that area to attract them over. Yeah. 
Yeah, like your cow parties or breeding sequences and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I can do something like that or yeah, like you said, a breeding sequence or anything like that. Even do some splashing in, in, in the water sometimes because mm-hmm. of some of those other additional sounds that kind of pull them in. So yeah, that, that is an option in that situation. But you had a particular scenario that happened to you in 2022. So let's pull that scenario in, talk yeah. about it and see what we can do with that. So I'll try to, I have like long version, short version, but, uh, <clears throat> and so, so essentially, um, and as we mentioned, they're generally quiet elk. That was the, that was this, the time where we had that herd bull that kind of, you know, at the, at the first sign of a bugle ran all his cows off the mountain. And so <clears throat> we were hunting there for about three or four days, um, against finding elk, but they're usually, well, small groups, isolated, not really responding to cows. We were more just kind of bumping into them while they were in transition going somewhere else. Right. And, uh, so on day five, we're driving back to camp at night and like, I wouldn't say like we nearly hit, but like pretty close to the truck where this little young five by five runs on the road on our way back to camp. And we just kind of, you just kind of tell how they were, how it was vibing. Like it was just, it was just there to feed. Like it wasn't moving anywhere. And so there was fields on both sides of this road. One was private, one was public. And so we ran to the public and we're like, well, let's go in the morning and see if he's still in there munching around or at very least we can see what kind of sign is in there. And so uh, we go back there in the morning in the first light, um, and my buddy walks up, who's got the tag, walks up 30 yards from the truck and bumps him. He's like, he's, oh, just, wow. he's just right, he was right there. Um, there's only one place you could park there to, to access the public land, and he was, I mean, he was just right, right up there. Like, we, you know, this is another, oh, is this another a lesson. dirt road, it's, paved road, highway, what is it? It's a, uh, it's a dirt road, but it's not far. I mean, it was not far from a paved, I mean, it was a paved road and then it switches to dirt. So this was, it was a, well-traveled road. And, um, because I want everybody to hear this, you know, you got a well-traveled road, you guys drove on it, parked in there, did all of that, and still was able to bump a bull that was how far up into the trees? Yeah, he was, so we bumped him, he, my friend was 30 yards from the truck and the bull was probably 70 yards from him, so he was, if he's straight line to a road, it was probably yeah. less than 100 yards. It, which is a huge, huge lesson, man. Yeah. Right there. We also killed a cow in that same area, a hundred yards from the road in a slightly different direction. So, um, so yeah, so there, you don't have to go far. We got, we got pretty good at being lazy. Um, I, you know, okay. But, so I would say smart. Yeah. <laughs> you were hunting smart, not hunting hard. Yeah. Uh, yep. so that's how I would put that. I, I agree. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, we go back there, bump, after we bumped him, uh, we kind of just, quietly looked in the area a little bit just for other sign and, and found a lot, um, both fresh and old. So it was pretty clear that they were using this, um, this field pretty often. I say field, it was, you know, my Midwestern version, I call it like a sagebrush field, it's probably like junipers and whatever. Right. Um, and so we go back, we're like, let's, they're being quiet. Let's try Let's see if we can ambush them. You know? So we, we go back and we sit up basically up kind of, this is a sloping field and we go up and, and there's, there's several draws in this field probably about a mile wide. Um, and we, 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 based on the sign assess that we want to go sit on the, this one ridge forming a draw that has two draws on each side. And, uh, we, so we set up in there just inside the tree line, found some good cover. And, uh, sure enough that evening, uh, a herd comes down. This bull isn't even in this group. I don't, we never saw him again. Don't know what happened to him. Um, but this, this herd comes down with a spike, I think about 10 cows. And then, a five by six, so I'm pretty sure it was a six by six with a broken 
mm-hmm. broken tine. Um, but a real, I mean, real nice bull. And, uh, but they were 175 or something yards away. We were losing light. So we just watched them. Just let's see what they're going to do. Right. It's actually kind of a cool observation. The, they were moving to this lower field and the bull sat on this little hill and just was just scanning around while all his cows went to the field. And once the last one left the field, he left. It was kind of a, kind of a cool little, uh, never seen that before. And so, ne- so the next night, so the next day we hunted somewhere else. We didn't want to hunt there in the morning because the, the thermals were very stable at night. It was this long valley. So another, another lesson that I didn't, for other hunters that I didn't, never thought of this before. So we always think about thermals just in the context of the, the mountain or the hillside you're on. Right. But we were also at the bottom of probably like a 10, 15 mile long valley with a stream running through it and, uh, almost at the very bottom. And so those thermals were just ripping down that valley in the yeah. evening, before they were coming down the the hill, the traditional way you think about it, they were coming from way up that valley and pulling down. So very, very stable in the in the, in the evenings. Mm-hmm. The mornings was a little more chaotic because the opposite is happening, but they're going two different directions. So we, we hunted somewhere else during the morning, went back in the evening with both of our shooters. We had two tags in the group and uh, set up right where they kind of spread out, right where they came down. But, of course, they came through a different draw. Uh, right. yeah. that evening. And so we play this little game, um, for two or three nights. And then, uh, on the last night, we're like, what was it? Wasn't our last night hunting, but it was like, we're going to try this one more time and then we're going to go somewhere else because this isn't, this isn't working out. Um, and, uh, so they come down where my, I'm set up just to pay the picture a little bit. My, since they're not calling or spending calls, like as I'm barely, I'm just kind of there to watch, um, for the most part, but this last night I set up about a hundred yards away from my friend, kind of level on the hill downwind with the idea that I can either maybe spot him coming in, you know, spread out a little bit. If I hear him coming behind me, I can signal him, have him come run to me. Or if they're on the other side of him, just out of bow range, I might be able to pull him in just a little bit with a calf call or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so my, they, they end up coming. So if I'm here, my friends to the east, they, they come out east to him another hundred or so yards and so he takes off after them i take off after him to catch up um i had kind of a bum foot which i can tell that story later and uh the time i get to him i hear some cows running all over the place up on the mountain some elk running all over the mountain other cows at the time running all over the place making noise in the mountains so he, he he bumped a couple of them trying to get into position to cut trying to cut them off we heard the elk we heard the uh the bull bugle and some rocks moving up the mountain so um, what he didn't anticipate was that the bull wasn't in the front, right? So like, you know, he had cows some, some number, number measure of distance in front of him. And so that's another lesson there. And, uh, and so he bumps them, but he only bumps a couple of them and the rest of the herd doesn't, doesn't know what's going on. And so, uh, I think they hear the commotion a little bit. I, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second, yeah. because, but you covered something there that we want to make sure that people hear and listen to is because Everybody thinks that the bull is really dominating the situation and he's not. Yeah, it's, it's a leak. Oh yeah. 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 And, and he's basically following suit. Now sometimes he'll go off, he'll go ahead if there's a reason to do it, like a challenger or something else has his attention. But then he always turns and ends up in the vapor trail of those cows, basically. They're determining yep. where they're going. So that, that's a good point to remember. And that's why I tell people too. Let's say that it um it's the morning and you're following a herd, right? Um because maybe the the bull is making some sounds. 
you don't want to try to follow that herd from the rear end because what's happening is, again, that bull's following the cows, Mm -hmm. and he may stop and he may be communicating, and we can talk about what he's communicating at another time, but he he's bugling. So what do you do? You lock up and you figure, oh, maybe he's going to come into me. Well, his cows are still walking off, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting in one position, and then – Next thing you know, the bull's bugling from another yeah. 400 yards away because now he's catching up to the cows. And so what I tell people is this is that, you know, I never want to trail a herd because I end up getting way behind them. I always want to get up on the side, try to parallel and actually get ahead of that bull mm-hmm. where he's at because now I know that, you know, he's, if I know he has cows, I know that I am perpendicular to that to that bull most likely i'm paralleling them and as they start to go up we know things get smaller at the top and we can actually have some things happen there or i get to find out where they bet now in your case it was just the opposite you're hearing a bull that's coming down into the park and your buddy's assuming okay i'm setting up for the bull without the knowledge factor that the cows are coming in first and he's trailing now right so and bumps him all right so go ahead i'm sorry man no, no, that's a good point. We should have known that just based on how we observed them the night before, a couple nights before too. So just one of those, again, lessons. We won't make that mistake again, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, we split the herd, we ended up splitting the herd up a little bit and, uh, the bull, the bull actually in the rest of the herd kind of comes out basically like right above where I was, uh, I was, I had this really good spot with some rocks and sagebrush. They, I could have sat there and if they didn't smell me, they wouldn't, they would never know I was there, but he came what up. What elevation are you guys at? Um, I think I want to say this was around somewhere between eighty five hundred and nine thousand feet. So um, almost in in that country, almost not far from road level, right? I mean, we were there. So we there was a road there. I there was a let's just put there was a highway, probably only a couple hundred feet in elevation below that. So right. this yeah. it's not high. We we were up uh, different days. We were up there at ten thousand five hundred, eleven thousand feet. But so this uh, we was found the low country of the area. Yeah, correct. Without, if we kept driving a little bit, we ended up some BLM, but basically it kind of had that BLM vibe to it. Uh, okay. there was forest up above, but yeah, definitely the, this is the bottom of the valley. Yeah. Cool. I, I, yeah. And, and I wanted to make that, you know, we're hearing so many things. And if we were to paraphrase a couple of things, it's like, you don't have to go to the trailhead. There's a lot of elk that are being passed. You guys are finding elk every day. You're in the low country, lower elevation, not far from roads, you know, so a lot of that is great information for people to hear. All right. Yep. Yeah. Rocky. And we found elk every trip, but literally between 8,500 and 11,000 feet on the same day. Like, mm-hmm. don't listen. They're all above tree line. Yeah, they are, but some other ones aren't. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. Not that that's helpful for anyone, but just just don't fix item on like someone saw them above eleven thousand feet because that's not that's not the only place they're at. Well, the thing that I that I like about that though is it seems like when you get above timberline or right up in there, generally when you blow animals out because of the openness of some of those areas and the patchiness of it, when they go, they go right. Yeah. They're like in another drainage. Mm-hmm. You guys almost described like when you bump that five by five crossing the road, you found him pretty much a hundred yards from where you saw him the next morning. Generally in those thick places like that, they don't have the same need to empty out of the country. 
You know, they, they have found a place that they feel safe. They found a place that they get food, they get water and they don't have to blow out of there. They could end up being over a ridge or something mm-hmm. like that, but, um, it, it's, it's a whole different type of hunt really. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. That cow I missed in 2020, we were on her for three, on her and her little herd for three different days, and they, we had interactions with them for three different days within an area that has less than 200 acres. Excellent point, man, right there. That's, that's awesome. So, so you're yeah, so we're, yeah, so, uh, so the, the, the bull's coming down and his herd's coming down to where I just was, uh, and he's pissed. Like, he's like, where do my cows go? He's raking, he's screaming off bugles. Um, we're about 175, 200 yards away. Um, not, not much cover between us though. So we're kind of in a, we're kind of in a tough spot. And so I'm, there's, again, there's all these little, it's not a flat field. There's a lot of like these draws and like little ridges and berms and and the bridges kind of have some, some trees on them. And so I'm on the other side of them. My shooter's right on the, right up on the edge and I'm on the other kind of back behind him. And we're losing light now. I forgot that detail is that this is all happening in the last, they came down within like two minutes every day, like of the same time every day, but different locations. But we had maybe 15 to 20 minutes of, of maybe 30, 15 to 30 minutes of light every day to, to do this. And, um, and so I do some, you know, Paul calls them, Paul Medell calls them the contact buzzes, that kind of screechy. Yeah. That yeah. kind of screechy kind of sounds like a deer barking yeah. at you in the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, kind of like get, get your butt over here. You know, we're, you know, we're lost. We're separated. And he just, and he's screaming back at me and raking. And, uh, we were, we had kind of just, we we're real shy. You know, we can get into the what ifs in a second here, but basically, um, we're losing light. I was like, even if he comes, we're going to run out of time. Like he's not going to close this gap in right. time. So, right. um, this is going on for a few minutes and I was like, I talked about, she was like, just run at him. Like it's pretty dark. He had really good, his camouflage, just observing him a couple nights before blended in with us like really well. Even like I could barely see him even when I knew where he was. Mm-hmm. I was like, just, I was like, just run at him. There was a couple trees that he could keep between him and the bowl right. to obscure his uh, vision. And then I went, I started hooking, kind of hooked around him. I went downhill behind this berm and then behind another berm that was parallel to the, to the bowl and just kept making cow sounds like he ain't coming to me. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to the other field. Um, with, you know, hope one was that it would just distract him and not, he wouldn't see my, sure. my shooter. And hope two is that maybe he'll, if he starts moving a little bit, then my shooter will get a nice broad, broadside shot at him as well. So I got news um, for you, man. That's a great strategy. It really is. Yeah. It worked. We just ran out of time. So yeah. it, he, uh, he, he didn't move. He sat right there, pissed off, raking, bugling. Where are you going? You know, asking me where I'm going. And my shooter got, I think like 60, 75 yards, uh, away from him. But it, it was just, a, he's like, is a brown blob at that point, you know, with the light fading. And so he, so he, he had cows to, with him. Yes. Yeah, he had he had that ten or so um ten or so cows with him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the one reason 
he didn't come. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you're just another cow out of the ones that he has there, and there's nothing to signify that, that you know, you're an estrus or anything like that. Now, possibly as you were going away, had you introduced uh, another bull, mm, I don't even know that that would have been the case. I think the thing I would have probably gone to is I'd have probably gone to lost calf calls at that mm-hmm. point and forget trying to pull the bull and try to pull the cows, you yeah. know. Because when he's sitting there screaming and blowing up that tree, he's demonstrating. He's demonstrating for you, as you were cow calling, to come to him. He's basically having you come to yeah. him. And he's demonstrating for those other cows that are there as well, kind of keeping them that he's the man. So I think in that situation, had you been leaving and going out of there or going around sounding like a lost calf and try to get that go towards that maternal instinct, mm-hmm. I think you would have had a better shot with that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, <laughs> so, no yeah exactly. And I, I consider the bull sounds, but, like, I think, again, I, I think you're right. Like, that's probably – Given the everything that we observed that week, we just kind of decided we weren't even going to make bull sounds anymore because it just wasn't unless we, unless there was multiple bulls, which yeah. which we never ran into. So, but here's the thing. Okay, um, the, the day that you guys saw the bull on the ridge and the other guys called to him, then the bull rounded him up and took off. What mm-hmm. time of day was that? I think that was also morning. Yeah, that, that was also morning. Yeah, that was Absolutely. that was pretty early in the morning. So what's happening in that situation is those elk are going to a destination. Yeah. Okay. Now, the difference is your evening elk were at a destination. Yeah. So I would have actually, if especially if I'd have had trees and brush that would have obscured me, I'd have got my shooter as close as possible, and I would have started going right at that bull, um, mm-hmm. and slamming stuff and sounding like a bull. I would have because he's at his destination. Now okay. he's going to have to put up or shut up. Now, right? Yeah. So I would have actually gone at that booger and I would have gone with him, challenging him, displaying for his cows, raking, doing everything I can to make him have to defend. Yeah. So that's that's what I would change. And and so the point I want to make in that is I want you to always have in your head, are they going to a destination or are they at a destination? Okay. Mm -hmm. Think about time of day. You know, so when you, when you take that one bull that you saw that herd bull there, and then those other guys bugle. Um, I don't even know what the wind was like, but those cows were probably already wanting to go in a different direction. And mm-hmm. these guys are calling from way off. So he's basically just, they're just going where they're going to go. Yeah. All right. But yeah. you were in a prime time situation. So I, I want to ask you this about that too, because you guys played this cat and mouse game with them for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- at least three. Yeah. yeah. So were you ever on them in the morning in that area? No. So we, so two things there. One is that the, the thermals in the morning there were kind of, were kind of wishy-washy, not, not unlike they were during the daytime or the evening. Mm-hmm. And so, and the other thing is we, based on us seeing that we had actually a different, one of these days too, I forgot to mention, we actually were driving through the area and we saw them up back back up on there's a little, little area of private land near here that they weren't really, really using much but we actually saw them from the road up in this private land and we had the same the morning the, the morning after we saw them in the evening so we were kind of basically under operating the assumption that they were staying in this field all night and we didn't think we were going to be able to get them to sneak up on them due to the lack of cover and the in, inconsistent winds we weren't so, sure that we were able to get above them or around them yeah so that that would have been 
that would be the only thing that I would have wanted to know in, in, in hearing you, because again, I'm just getting my perception from what you're telling me, right? Yeah. It could be all these different variables. But one thing that I would want to know is, you know, where are they going to? And is there a possibility to me, possibility of me getting to where they're going to embedding and then having that situation where I can have that midday yeah. call? So- Right. We considered going up, you know, all day chasing them up, up this mountain. And, and it's still, it's something we could have done. Um, don't, the reason we decided not, the reason we decided not to do that was one, because this area was huge. This was, um, right. So we're, we're talking about hunting again, the bottom, right. bottoms here. And then there's just this massive, I think I, I, before we got this call, I kind of mapped it on Gaia and it was like four, 4,500 acre area. It could have been more than that, but that's the obvious potential bedding area to me was right. like 4,500 acres, which is like, right. you know, gigantic. So the reason tons of North facing timber too. So it's like, they could have been anywhere, anywhere up there. And they're not responding to calls. And I'm like, you know, we're just going to bump them out of the area if we start going to try to. And, and I'm not or, talking about necessarily going in and, and, and hunting them out. What I'm saying is to help you in your evening hunt, because part of your problem was you didn't know which draw they were going to come down. Yeah. Right. And if you don't want to blow them out, I totally hear you on that because they're doing something every day. There's no other hunters in there. You don't want to yeah. hurt the situation. No, it all makes sense. But what what I'm saying is you could have got a little bit more data by having been there and stayed away enough and off, you know, uh, downwind or, or yeah. you know, up thermal so that you could actually find out where they bedded for the day because once you find out where you where they bed for the day you're going to have a whole lot better information on which draw they're going to come down to the same mm-hmm. place right yeah. so that actually lets you now um go in instead of waiting for them in the actual park that allows you to wait for them in transition from where they're bedding to coming down and they're going to do that once the thermals are already changing and stuff right yeah. so that, that's that's one you know you were asking me different strategies. One thing I would do is I would just want more information of where they went. I if I don't want to blow them out, I totally get that right um, because you're able to have that. But man, I hate I hate chasing the sun in the evening, man. It yeah. just uh, and what's nice about if you can get on them in the morning, and sometimes it's not possible, but you got to really look at the area. And see, is there a place where we have at least some predominant wind um, that's going to help us either bend thermals or stay on their downwind side and stay away mm-hmm. enough to actually kind of stay within, you know, either visual or auditory if they are talking when they're going? Was the bull, you know, when they were making the move coming down into the park, was he announcing it at any time? So I think uh, uh, three or four nights we were there, uh, I think we heard two two bugles of you know him keeping his cows together um and but most of the times when we heard him it was we would hear the, the kicking rocks you know down the side of right. a hill or something um but there was a couple of times i think the first night we sat there they came in silent um right. and i think the second night there's one night i remember he bugled and then um i much they kind of came in real like real, a different area like real real late before they finally broke in and then the last night is when they bugled and made some sounds enough that we were like we know they're coming there and we were right we, we, we right. The shooter was right he's got there too late but um so it was kind of a mixed mixed bag uh, it's the only one time for sure they made enough sound that we we knew where they were coming from yeah so 
that's my whole thing about if you can identify and be in the transition. So yeah. what's going to happen is those elk are not going to come into that open. And what was the, the moon like at that time? Um, I'm pretty sure now you're asking me tough questions, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure, um, that was like a, that was a, that was like a new moon ish or close to a new moon, that whole, that whole hunt. I just, I remember okay. like you were kind of happy about that when you're yeah. planning it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was just trying to figure, you know, a lot of times they don't break into that open until, and by the time you get in position that half hour or 45 minutes, you know, between you making your decision and you and your shooter and everything, Man, time starts to cut down pretty doggone quick, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's where I, uh, my, my, one of my strategies would have been is to be able to at least identify where they were. And if I get in a good situation, wind wise, thermal wise, because there's a time in that midday that that sun comes out and all those thermals are going up. Mm-hmm. Now it's easier because I don't have to worry about them if I'm on their level. I don't have to worry yeah. about them smelling me and I can move in and just make sure I'm on the downwind side when I do that. And I only have to get off of that bull 200 yards, 150 yards. And now again, I go to doing a scenario type thing because he has bedded cows. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell you what, one thing he will want is another one if he can. You know, he's already got a few there, so he's going to want another one. So it gives you a chance off to do that or, if everything is jinky, you know, I've done this where, well, I couldn't trust the wind, so I'd go over a ridge just to ensure mm-hmm. my wind didn't get to them, and I'd take my nap there, I'd do my thing, I'd listen and wait for the thermals to change. I know where they're at, so I know pretty much as they start to move which drainage are going to come down because I can be closer to them, and possibly then at that point, I don't know that it's an intercepting. I would still use calls. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, and here's the other thing is that a lot of people think that just because the elk are silent, that they're not responding, that, you know, calls aren't going to help, but they absolutely can, man. I mean, again, yeah, come in quiet, yeah. yeah, they'll come in silent. So I don't think if I had a bull that had those cows and there's not much competition there, I don't, I think I would stay cow calf oriented. When mm-hmm. I do that, I would really work with the calf calls are something that is not going to intimidate the bull. It's not going to in, in, intimidate the lead cow. Yep. Um, I might use some of that. If I wasn't doing that, then my other option would be that I want to do some elk things over there of another herd and hope that I sound interesting to those other cows there so that those cows come to me if the maternal doesn't work with uh with the calf then i'm going to go towards well i'm going to give them a better bull to breed with and there's going to be other cows in there so that's another possibility or when he hears that and thinks that you know if he's not sounding off and there's no other elk around him sounding off then yeah he has cows with them but none of them are in estrus right yep so if i make it sound like cows in estrus, then I might be able to pull him off and come and try to take one, try to breed one or anything yeah. like that. Especially but, he was a pretty decent bull for that area too. Again, he, he, he was a five by six. I only think he had something broken off because his, the six side was, was strong. Right. Um, he was a pretty, we had some of those morning pictures. I got him in a phone scope and he was, he was a pretty, he was a pretty good bull for that area for an over the, or, or low point draw unit, you know? Oh yeah. 
Yeah. And and you said something earlier and I hear people say it all the time. They they see a bull with one cow, two cows and they say that that's a herd bull. You know, actually it's just an immature bull that has yeah. grabbed a cow, right? And yeah. they don't want to lose them in there. And actually that cow um if given a better suitor will leave that son of a buck and come right to you. So yeah. if you sound like a more dominant displaying type bull, you can pull that cow to you and the, and just bring the bull in tow. That's how I killed mine last year. Mm-hmm. I basically um, knew where they were bedding in an area. I didn't worry about getting eyes on them. Uh, I didn't want that. I knew that they were down below. So I set up in a situation that they would have to actually come up to me to get you know, to even have an idea where I'm at and just put on a little breeding sequence, man. So, um, and what was interesting was it wasn't the bull that came in. The cow was hauling butt to me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's something to remember as far as that goes as well. Um, but the cool thing, dude, is that you are going and having incredible experiences and, you're into elk every day and that's, that's half the battle right there. Yeah. Yeah. We've, you know, <clears throat> talked to a lot of people that don't necessarily, um, take them a while before they even find their, find their first elk. So we've, we've done, yep. we've done well there. We just got, we got to get the, that last, that last, you know, 50 yards, 100 yards is kind of the obvious, for obvious reasons. That's what it is. That rifle, uh, bow hunting starts with rifle, or rifle hunting ends kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and that's where I'm really hopeful. You know, New Mexico, this unit we're going to, everything I've heard, you know, you t- people talk about Colorado, Colorado, Colorado units. You never hear anyone say there's a bunch of elk there. Like you never, you never hear about over the counter and low jaw so, units and everything I've heard about this New Mexico unit is that there's elk everywhere. So I'm looking forward to that. Part of New Mexico, we talking southern, southern side. Northern side. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so if you're up if you're up north and um look, here's how I feel about New Mexico and I felt the same way when I went to Colorado cuz the first time uh 2 years ago when we went into Colorado, um I think we were in 8081 and it's one of those uh those are the type of units that everybody's like, "Well, bring your own rock because <laughs> you know, there's so many people and blah 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 like this, you know." We pull into the area where we were and there's camp sites everywhere and on opening morning all you know it's like nascar all the tvs utvs going out i literally you know uh called in a bull a mile and a half from the campsite never you know we never drove anywhere out that we had to get to so people were driving by those elk and so i feel like if there's elk we can bring them in in new mexico you can look at it and if it is a low success rate unit, it only tells me one thing. It only tells me about the quality of the hunters because I know that there's elk yeah. in um, most of those units. And um if you're hunting that 15th to the 24th, you know, I really believe that those days, those 15th, 16th, 17th to the 20th, are probably your best days with a little bit different strategy than what you would use you, once you start getting on the second half of that when those bulls are, you know, the real herd bulls are cowed up. But mm-hmm. the difference is you're going to see bulls with satellite bulls. And so yeah. that opens up a different option for you. Yep. Yeah, and that's definitely <clears throat> looking forward to that having that different experience because yeah, we still have you know as many elk as we found. I've still haven't seen more than one elk in a 
in a group. Herd you guys, or group, however you want to call it. Did you guys draw as a group? No, we, so basically, I actually got drawn again for Colorado. I got drawn for Colorado. We kind of agreed ahead of time that if anyone gets these New Mexico tags, that we'll, well, you, know, you can turn your Colorado tag in now within four days and get your money and your points back. So we kind of agreed to, uh, we'd all go together. And, and so my friend who's just like needs to play the lottery more often seems to get everything he, he drew. So, uh, I'll, like I said, I, honestly, I like Colin, you know. Okay. I save 700 bucks on a tag. I, I get to use my trekking poles, the, you know, the entire trip. And, uh, and so yeah, I'll go down there. We're going to, I'm going to, we're going to call. We'll have maybe a second. Some of us might shoot off and go scout while just two of us are hunting. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so we, we, we all apply, we all apply it separately just to boost our odds a little bit. And, um, and, uh, well, I'll be, I'll be in Colorado next year, if nothing else, going yeah. back to the same unit. Yeah. Awesome, man. That's, that's fantastic. There's, there's one thing that I had in my head that kind of dodged back. I was like going through your stories. You were storytelling when that bull came down into the park and your buddy, you guys were kind of set up and you were back behind him. Could mm-hmm. you see that bull when you were talking to him? Um, so are you talking about like the, the, the first night where they, we didn't, they kind of came in and we didn't interact with them. Or are you talking about that last night? The last night when your buddy started running at him. Yeah. So could I, could I see him? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I, so I did, um, I, I did see him. And that's when I, then I backed off to get okay. below the, below the cover. So he couldn't see where I was calling from. And then when that wasn't given to budge, I, I went back up, ranged him. And I was like, you got to go we're out of time. And then, then I backed up again and went around. So when you were yeah. calling to him, when he came into the park, what kind of call were you using? So he he was he initi- he initiated the the bull initiated the sounds by bugling and, and raking and right. then um, that's when I started using I I might have done some regathering music I can't remember for sure but I was definitely doing contact buzzes okay um that's that towards the end I I can't remember if I started with regathering music or not towards the bull or behind you away from him <laughs> were you calling uh towards him again I was I was. We were 200 yards away and I was below a, ri- below a okay. little berm buying some trees. Yeah. Right. Um, and no decoy. Cause that's another thing that I think. Yeah. So no decoy. We are bringing a decoy to New Mexico because this particular unit, I understand, as I understand, is a little more open. And, uh, and so I, we will definitely be, if we had a decoy there, it would have been a difference. We would, would have been done a lot of things a little differently. So we are going to, we're bringing with us, bringing one with us this year. Yeah. Just, so in just that in case. Yeah. In that situation, man, had you as the caller had a decoy back there, that might have yeah. been money right there. Cause yeah. remember, I thought oh, about it. Yeah. They want to, they <laughs> want to confirm visually first, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that could have been huge for you. And, and I want other people too to hear is that, you know, uh, you're 200 yards away. So I think with the cow calls and the buzz, you were fine just doing it through your mouth, Adam. And the only thing is again, he sees that and, you know, he's looking that way and he's not seeing anything and he doesn't want to separate himself there. So, yeah, that's that's a I try to tell people this is why I bring it up is if you're seeing a bull and you're calling to him, you've set yourself up for a hung bull. Yep. Because Definitely. Yeah. I'm, you know, follow the I know you guys do, too, but Chris Rowe's bedroom, bedroom door principle or whatever. And so yeah. I try to be really cognizant of that. And that was yeah, that situation. We just kind of had a. Uh, made do with what we what we had because there was there was no way we could have made up the ground to to get you know within a boat within right. bow range going through the going through the tree line there and so <clears throat> with the time we had the decision in my mind was like well if we can give him to budge I'm, I'm backing off but if not 
we're going at him and I'm going to try to distract him. Right. Um, was just kind of a making lemonade out of lemon situation there. And I will tell you too, cause you were talking about New Mexico being more open. What I would, and you know, there's always big parks, big, you know, uh, areas, but uh, my goal is always to get them as thick as possible. So, mm-hmm. um, I want it thick so that they're having to look for me so that when I do see them, um, it's going to be that close, effective 20 yard, yeah. 15 yard shot. Now, a lot of people are like, well, if I get in the thick cover and they're talking, I don't get to see them. Well, okay. So you could be in cover. I mean, not in cover and see them, but you're still not going to kill them because they're expecting to see another elk, right? I would much take that 80 yard separation in open area and put it in a thick area so that now that bull doesn't see me and that bull's going to have to keep coming and I do have an opportunity to kill that bull, right? Yep. So. It's definitely one of those things. It's like, it's like sudden up behind cover. Like your brain, yeah. your brain's wrong. Like you got to consciously think, think about that kind of thing. I know that's, <clears throat> I think we probably have all done that at one point of our lives, bow hunting where you got behind cover and like, what the hell, you know, the, the animal gets there and like, I'm screwed, you know? Yeah. It's the same thing concept with you want to see it, but that's actually not good for you. Yeah. Sam. Especially elk, they make noise. You'll hear them coming in. Absolutely. I mean, um, and, and remember, you know, guys, everybody listening, just because they're not calling doesn't mean they're not responding. So, you know, uh, you got to keep that in mind that elk do things in elk time. They can be coming in, coming to you. And a lot of people just move out of an area. But if I'm someplace where I'm smelling them or I know that they're there, that I've seen something and I start doing a calling scenario, you've got to give it that chance for it to happen because they move in their time and not ours. So Sam, you guys talked about another podcast where, you know, you start calling in those situations, like you're sitting there 30, 45 minutes mm-hmm. and that's hard to do. It is absolutely. But, but yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. Um, I would say that, man, in the evening, it's, you know, and I actually start doing that kind of stuff in that midday to three, four o'clock, because like you said, in the, you know, it gets to a certain point where they're getting to their, going to their destination, but there's a time in their frame when they're kind of meandering before they head to that destination. Mm -hmm. They'll get up and stretch and get to those, get close to bedding areas you know, you can try different things from outside a betting area. So uh I think you actually got a pretty good tab on what's going on. And did any of this help you out in any way? Yeah, no, I think for sure. And I'll have to go back and watch the recording because I couldn't, I'm a note, I'm a note taker. Usually I'm working out when I'm listening to you guys and I'll, you know, hiking or rucking and I got my, my eye notes out there. I'm writing stuff down, but yeah, there was definitely some tidbits earlier, um, even just on the, the Colorado situation from a couple of years ago, we talked about that. I need to go back and listen to this again and, and write down what you said. So definitely yep. was helpful. Well, y'all, this is Sam Wright. This has been our Elk Bro Scenario revamp session, the first one that we've done. Any of you guys out there that you have a scenario that you got into and you just didn't know how to work it, or it was a situation that, you know, um, you heard somebody else talk about, or, you know, anything that you have questions on that are scenario related, send us an email and you might get a phone call from me and we'll set up one of these scenario revamp sessions and have fun with it. You learn, everybody else learns. It's a win-win. Sam, thanks for doing this, man. You're the first one. Yeah. Appreciate it. And when I screw up something in New Mexico, I'll give you a call. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. See ya.
pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 